How can understanding the original languages of the Bible better help us understand the end times? Find out more on today's episode of A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. The Bible did not come to us in English. It was originally written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. We have accurate translations, but there are unique insights we can gain from looking at the Bible as it was originally written. Lee Brainerd is a Bible teacher and author who focuses on the original languages and the end times, and he joins us today to help us provide wisdom from God's Word based on his years of study from Scripture. Lee, welcome today to A View from the Wall. Well, thank you, and I'm glad to be here. Well, we enjoy having you with us today, and we're honored to share your story with our listeners, but many of our listeners may not be familiar with you or have not heard about your uh, teaching before. Take a little bit of time to share a little bit of your background and some of your expertise in Bible languages and Bible prophecy. Sure. Uh, My ministry is really three related points kind of like a three-strand cord is not quickly broken. Those points are the authority of Scripture, the obligation to love God with all of our mind, and the consistent use of the historical grammatical hermeneutic. In other words, we trust history as history. It's their actual facts. We're not looking at the popular interpretation of those facts. And we interpret the Bible with the standard rules of grammar and the standard meanings of words. There's no smoke and mirrors. And the reason I, I go in this threefold direction, uh, looking at the authority of Scripture and, and to use our mind, is there's two big problems in America today, especially in the church. One is the problem of no logic. People are irrational. And the second is when they start getting awakened and they start getting logical, they're thrown by wrong presuppositions, which... They're logical within an unbiblical system, and we need to try all of our logic and all of our presuppositions by the Word of God. You talk and write a good bit about eschatology, and that's one area where there are a lot of presuppositions and some some wrong conclusions that have been drawn over the years. Part of the Bible eschatology that's been debated for centuries is what we call the rapture. And you address this some in one of your new books, and you've talked about it frequently at conferences where I've heard you speak. Talk a little bit about that. Why is that such a contested subject, and what should we know about it? Well, the reason that there's any kind of a a debate at all on the timing of the rapture is because people don't understand that God's relationship with his Old Testament people of Israel is not done. Uh, They were not set aside permanently. They were set aside temporarily. Uh, This can be demonstrated if you would read Romans 9 to 11 and Daniel chapter 9. So um, the rapture is the Lord removing his church out of the world and then going back to Israel for the last seven years. And you can see the doctrine of the rapture taught in 1 Thessalonians 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, John chapter 14, and Revelation 3.10. 
It's interesting that you talk about the rapture in that way. We mentioned this is a topic of debate among Bible scholars. When we talk about the rapture, there are different views of how it lines up in relationship to the tribulation. Mention what those views are just briefly for those who are unfamiliar and what the Bible uh, most likely supports from your study. Yeah, the views are the church is going to be raptured prior to the seven years of tribulation. Another view is the church will be raptured at the middle of the tribulation, so we're going to go through three and a half years. A more recent view is called the pre-wrath rapture, where the church goes deep into the seven years of tribulation, but is raptured maybe a few months or a year before the final judgment is poured out. And then there's the post-tribulation view, where the church goes all the way through the tribulation, then we're raptured up in the clouds only to come back down immediately. Now, the reason that I embrace the pre-tribulation rapture view is that we have promises like John 14, verses 1 through 3, that we are going to be taken to the Father's house. And in Revelation 3.10, we find out that we are going to be kept from the hour of trial. We can't be kept from the hour of trial if we're in the hour of trial. And we can't go with Jesus to the Father's house if if he's not coming to take us to the Father's house. Well, that's really well said. I want to build on that a little bit. When Jesus talks in John 14 about the Father's house, there's some kind of analogy there at the Jewish marriage feast. Can you talk a little bit about that for a moment? Yeah, well, in the Jewish wedding feast, the son is going to come and take his bride and then take the bride to his own home. And uh, in John chapter 14, the son is going to come down from heaven to pick up his bride. And he's going to take her to heaven. This is, uh, um, this is uh, very analogous to or a, a picture of in the Jewish wedding ceremony where the son comes to pick up his bride and take her to the, her new dwelling place. Oh, that's well said. And I think for people who study the scriptures from that cultural background, that they could see there is a relationship there and that the pre-trib rapture does have a lot of evidence for based on the scriptures you shared. Plus just the idea that if you hold to a post-trib view, you have Jesus coming for his believers and immediately returning to earth. It doesn't seem to make as much sense as the other view with the pre-trib rapture. So we want to acknowledge that all Bible believers would agree that there is some kind of rapture they often disagree, however, on the timing of the rapture, as you've talked about with some of the various views. So we hold to a pre-trib rapture view, as do you, and we want to encourage people to investigate that based on the scriptures themselves. When we come back after our break, we want to talk more about how the biblical languages can help us provide unique insights into our understanding of scripture. We'll be back with more right after this here on A View from the Wall. Stick with us. The I Am A Watchman ministry is supported by people just like you so that we can continue in our call to encourage, disciple, educate, and bring people from all tribes and tongues into a right relationship with Jesus. The I Am A Watchman ministry desires to reach the lost, encourage and equip believers, and prepare for the return of the Lord. There's a great need to share truth and disciple believers. Most in the Western world are not strong in their faith. Billions in Africa and India and in Arab and Asian regions are lost or persecuted for their faith. 
We want to reach them and equip them. Our vision is to facilitate the multiplication of godly leaders, watchmen around the world. Free I Am A Watchman resources have been accessed by individuals in more than 160 countries, but there's so much more to do. Please consider becoming a prayer and financial partner in this good work. Visit IamAWatchman.com to find out how. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. As Joe and I talk with Lee Brainerd about the end times, we want to look at some of the key areas of focus that we believe will help you as a listener today. We were talking about how we determine what is true when there is a disagreement sometimes among those who study the Bible. Even throughout history, the church has held some doctrines and preferences uh, that are stronger than at other times. But let's talk, Lee, what are the core essentials we must hold to and what items fall under preference or maybe a denominational difference? Talk about some of those key differences. Well, I like to break up the core things into the doctrines of orthodoxy and the doctrines of evangelicalism. Orthodoxy is believing in the Trinity, literal heaven and hell, the divinity of Christ, the blood atonement, the authority and inspiration of the Bible, the virgin birth, and things like that. What makes us distinctly evangelical is that we believe in salvation by faith alone, salvation by grace alone, and the Bible is the only rule of faith and practice, along with believing in the priesthood of all believers. Um, Now, when it comes to um, the The other things, like we talk about our preferences, I like to speak about vital doctrines, important doctrines, and secondary doctrines. The doctrines of orthodoxy and evangelicalism are vital. If you don't have these right, you've got somewhere between a bad foundation and no foundation. But there are important doctrines. For instance, the doctrines of God's redemption plan and the doctrines of God's prophetic plan. And I don't regard these as preferences. I think they're very important, but they are not critical for salvation. They do involve a misunderstanding of, depending upon what you believe, between 30 and 80 percent of the Bible, and it'll affect your Christian lifestyle, and it'll affect your reward, but it does not affect salvation. And we need to use grace when dealing with people that disagree with us on these matters. Let's jump into a little bit of application of that, because you have a new book that came out that addresses one area that is a recent area where good people disagree. Talk about your new book, what you're addressing there, and why it's important for our listeners. Sure. Um, I've just published a book called Apostasia in Second Thessalonians 2-3, Rapture or Apostasy. And... It concerns that verse of Second Thessalonians 2.3, where we read, The day of the Lord shall not come except the falling away come first, and the man of sin be revealed. The question is raised is whether the word behind falling away, which is apostasia in Greek, actually means rebellion or apostasy, or if we should be translating it by the word departure. Um, the idea that the folks on the rapture view of this verse hold is that the translation departure is correct, and it refers to a physical departure, the church departing the earth. Now, the reason I address this question isn't so much that the point itself is hugely important. Um, 
the reason that I'm addressing the point is really the deeper underlying issue of how we interpret Scripture. That, to me, is absolutely vital. Well, that is important. And as we talk about that issue, what are some guidelines you can give in terms of accurately interpreting the Bible? You've had a lot of study of the biblical languages, for example. How do some of those elements apply to understanding Scripture accurately? Well, one of the most important things I think we need to do is embrace the understanding that we have an obligation to the plain statements of the Bible. One of the biggest problems that we have today is people have, they won't necessarily admit this, but when you watch them approach the Bible and doctrine, their primary authority is an existing theology, an existing system of theology. And if we are really going to trust the Word of God the way we're supposed to trust the Word of God, we are going to frame our theology from the plain statements of Scripture, and we're not going to care which great theological system is offended or which great theologian is offended. Our loyalty is to the Scriptures. Yes, and that's important because there are two basic ideas that are talked about in biblical interpretation. There's exegesis, where we try to get out of the text what its original intended meaning is or was. And there's eisegesis, where we come to the text with our own presuppositions, our own beliefs, and we try to make the text fit our own beliefs that we already have coming to scriptures. And certainly we want to take scripture at face value, what it directly says, and apply it to our lives and change our lives to match scripture rather than the other way around. We see that increasingly in our culture as we see social issues where people have attempted to take the Bible and turn it into a system that fits what they already believe versus the other way around. So it's very important. But as we talk again about this idea of leaving your first love that's talked about in Revelation 3, uh, talk a little bit about how that applies to our lives today as well. It's such an important element. I want to make sure we address that today. Sure. Um, We have an obligation as a Christian to make sure that our whole day, from the moment that we wake up until we go to sleep at night, that we're focused on the person of the Lord Jesus, not merely that we're giving mental assent to a few vital truths, but that we are actually in our heart seeking constant fellowship with the Lord throughout the day, that we're praying throughout the day that we're thinking on important subjects throughout the day, that we've got the same focus that he has, which is the focus of the gospel, which is the focus of the end of this world, which is going to be a very ugly end with a glorious eternity on the other side. So we want to have his mind and his heart and his fellowship. Well, that's a good way to put it. And talk a little bit from your experience real quick. We have about a minute before the break in terms of the persecution that we see today and how that perhaps relates to what still lies ahead in the end times. There's always been tribulation in the world, but man, we are really seeing um, Satan up his game in these last days with socialism, uh, with communism, with the rise of, of Islam. Things are getting worse. It's so true, because we understand persecution, we point to it in the Old Testament and throughout history in countries like China and Afghanistan and places, but that, that's something that happens over there. That, that doesn't happen to us. But Jesus was very clear that these are all things that are going to happen before the rapture, that we need to be prepared for 
things to get more difficult than they are right now. That's not a message that's popular in the church, but it's still true, isn't it, Lee? Amen. It sure is. We're, we're spoiled in America. You know, we grew up here in America in a system where we've had a degree of freedom that no other nation or culture in history since the founding of the church has ever had. And we take it for granted. We even sometimes think like this is the way it's supposed to be. But Europe has never had it as good as we have, and most of the world has never had it at all. And we are going to see America become like Europe is now, and Europe is going to become like the rest of the world. Well, that's well said. And even though we are not at that final time of the tribulation period, we certainly see many of those elements developing in our time. We have so much more to talk about. We have to take a break. Stay with us for more here on A View from the Wall. The Bible predicts the rapture of the church is coming. Are you ready? Soon many will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Only they will escape the dark days that are coming. A time of tribulation that will usher in the Antichrist and great destruction upon the entire earth. There's only one escape, one way, one light, one truth. His name is Jesus. He came and died so that we may live forever with Him. But to receive this new life, there are three things we must do. The ABCs of salvation. A. Admit you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. Ask for forgiveness and receive His grace. B. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came, lived, died, rose again, and will come again. Believe that He is Lord and God. C. Commit to walk His path, the path He wants you to walk, and walk it out by faith. Then you'll be ready for the return of the Lord. To learn more about the rapture and how to know for sure, visit amiraptureready.org. segment today with Lee Brainerd on A View from the Wall, we want to talk some about the implications and applications of the end times for our lives today. It's interesting that in 2 Peter, when it talks about the end of time, it emphasizes that our response should be to live a holy life, something that impacts the lives of others. And we've talked about the gospel and doctrine, but we haven't really spelled it out in detail. So Lee, let's take a moment to do that for someone who's listening today who may not even be sure they know where they stand with God. What would you advise them to do first? Uh, Lead them in that process of someone who's seeking today. Well, the thing I like to tell people is the Bible is very clear. If we believe on the Lord Jesus, we shall have eternal life. And if if they're not familiar with that, they should just go read John chapter 3. But I do want to say that believing the gospel is not merely assenting to doctrines. You know, it says in Romans, with the heart, man believes. And we need to have a heart relationship with the person and work of Jesus. Now, there's great value in believing in the Lord Jesus. He's not merely a historical figure. He is the most amazing man in the universe. He's the eternal Son of God who spoke the universe into existence, who appeared at the burning bush to Moses, who was the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament temple, and he took on human flesh for all of eternity. Now, when he died on the cross, this was not merely a man dying. This was the eternal Son of God dying as the Lamb of God, 
with the, a sacrifice of infinite value that covers all the sins of all the human beings who have ever lived or ever will live. And on top of this, he loves every man on the planet and wants them to be blessed with the forgiveness of sins, with escape from eternal hellfire, and with an eternal inheritance as the heir of God and the co-heirs of Christ. So if people out there, their hope is shaken, if they look around the world, they have no hope, if they're worried about the future, if they are worried about eternity, I would encourage them to look to Jesus and to trust him and believe him, to believe his word, to believe his word, and they will never regret doing so. Lee, we have a group of listeners that we refer to as watchmen and watchwomen. They're folks who watch, warn, witness, and seek to finish well in these last days. You've done a lot of deep dives into the languages and the study of the Word of God. Not all these watchmen are going to go quite that deep, but for the ones who are looking for how do I relate to people in these last days, what's a word of encouragement and challenge for our watchmen and women? Well, one of the things I think we need to do uh, in relating with the people around us is we need to keep a big eye focused on Jesus and the major themes of Bible prophecy and keep a little eye on the gyrations that are going on in the world that we are looking at is the signs of the times. Um, the, the reason that this is important is we want to get people to have their eyes on the Word of God and on Jesus and on the major themes of Bible prophecy. We don't want them to be scanning the headlines of the paper all day long. We want them to be focused on Jesus and Bible prophecy. And the second thing that I think we need to do to make sure that we have a good operating principle with those around us is to make sure ourselves that in our study of the Bible, that we don't come to conclusions on what the Bible says until we have examined every passage in the Bible on the subject and found a solution that says amen to every passage, not sweeping any under the rug, and not subjecting any of them to the hammer and the axe. Because our first job is not to be orthodox in the eyes of our comrades, but to tremble at the Word of God. Now, if we have this trembling at the Word of God's Spirit in us, it's going to be very easy for us to encourage other people to tremble at the Word of God in the same way. And that really is our goal. We want people to tremble at the Word of God and realize that it offers promises that are so amazing they make us tremble and threats so amazing they make us tremble. Lee, you talk a little bit about what happens in the end times related to the tribulation. There's a seven-year period of judgment that will come. Why does God have this period of judgment that lies ahead in the future? What does that even mean for us today? How should we understand that? Well, the seven years of judgment have a very specific purpose in the mind of God. He is going to separate the entire planet during those seven years into those that are owning their allegiance to God, who will be marked in their forehead, and those who are owning their allegiance to the devil, who will be marked in their forehead or on the back of their hand. So by the time you get to the end of the seven years, every man on the planet has lined up either with God or with the devil. There'll be nobody on neutral ground, and the whole world will be divided into sheep and goats. And that's the purpose of the 70th week. 
to uh, let this delusion influence people away from God and to let the gospel turn people towards God and to divide the entire planet. Well, that's so well said, and it reminds me so much of Second Peter chapter 3. I've been looking at this lately just on my own. It talks about in verse 4 that there will be people who say, Where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And the Apostle Peter says this in verse 5, For this they will willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of earth and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. And then it says these words, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And he goes on to remind his listeners that, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's an encouragement for us today that when we feel discouraged, when we feel like maybe we're having our doubts or having our dark times, that Jesus is there, he is being patient, and his plan is being fulfilled. We want to thank you so much for being with us today. How can listeners get in touch with you to find out more about you and your ministry? Well, they can go to my website, soothkeep.info, that's S-O-O-T-H-K-E-E-P dot info. That's my website, and on that website, they'll find my email, and they'll find any other way they need to communicate with me by message, too. I'm also on Twitter with at Soothkeep, so they can find me there. My handle is Soothkeep. Excellent. Again, that's Soothkeep. And we would encourage you to check that out, and we'll have that there along with our episode description for those who would like that. Again, thank you so much for being with us here today. And for our listeners who have been with us today, we want to thank you as well. We appreciate you for joining us here on A View from the Wall and encourage you to listen again at IamAWatchman.com where you can sign up for the latest e-newsletter, download a free ebook, and enjoy our other resources to help you in your spiritual journey. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.